seen this. This is it. This is the end. Yes. You were laying right there, just like that. And I, I, I stand here, right here. And I'm, I'm supposed to say something. I say everything that has a beginning has an end. Very excited. You should see Will quivering on the other end here. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone, to Podcast Part 3, the Part 3 Podcast. I am Sam. And I'm Will. And today we are talking about Matrix Revolutions. The third Matrix movie and the first movie in our our podcast is actually a conclusion to something. It's not just it's supposed to be another entry. This is a definitive end uh, up until, well... This year, I'm very excited. This is we're we're changing uh, formats today. Welcome to take the red will jacking into the matrix with Will Morey. <laughs> um, I should say off the bat, uh, we are going to get into spoilers for the Matrix Resurrections, right? Because I think that has informed our uh, opinions of the Matrix Revolutions, yeah. and uh, as well as the Matrix and the Matrix Reloaded and the Matrix Revisited, and Reloaded Revisited, Revolutions Revisited, and the Animatrix. What about Enter the Matrix? No, my opinion on that remains the same. <laughs> In that when I was uh, 16, I thought that was awesome. <laughs> my my Dell computer is whirring like a fucking <laughs> jet engine to keep the processor going, but I can do bullet time now. <laughs> uh, kicking things off, going back to 1999, I think I can safely say that, you know, 20 some odd years later, The Matrix is like has lived up to its landmark status. I'd say it's probably in terms of influence on blockbuster filmmaking, on genre filmmaking. It's probably on a par with Star Wars at this point in terms yeah, of absolutely special effects, aesthetic, storytelling, uh it kind of was the culmination of a lot of movies in the 90s. It t it takes elements of The Crow, in terms of aesthetic and visual, certainly, of The Crow, Dark City, um, I would say Blade to a certain extent, and patches that in with the superhero genre and the sort of the, the chosen one uh, archetype. And just, it, it, I can't stress what a, big deal this movie was in 1999 and how it kind of came out of nowhere oh yeah and and how much it brought the vocabulary of particularly asian action cinema to hollywood i mean like other movies had sort of toyed with it i mean blade obviously had a lot of uh, asian cinema dna in it and martial arts cinema in it but but this really took like so much of the John and John Woo had obviously been making Hollywood movies at this point. But this just took so much of the vocabulary of anime and brought it to the mainstream. And it just it hit like an atom bomb. Yes, I I am thoroughly remiss in in glazing over all of the influences of Asian cinema that are in the Matrix and were brought to the American mainstream because of this wire work i'd say yeah wasn't a thing in 90s action in the u.s and in hollywood and then between the matrix and crouching tiger hidden dragon the next year yep. 
it's it came and it never really went away. And I think the Wachowskis did a really good job of introducing it in a way that still like made it palatable to a mainstream audience. It combined it with like camera work and storytelling and uh, in a way that just we had not seen before. I cannot stress how many movies tried to lift bullet time and make it work. Oh, I mean, like, I mean, like movies, music videos, TV, like it was every, I mean, like the first Shrek movie parodied it, like not just parody, like the Matrix was parodied in everything. Yeah. Literally every, yeah. everyone on our generation has a bad back from trying to do the, the Neo bullet time move. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But it is like literally it changed the language of action movies. And I would make the argument probably just open the door for Hollywood to be a little more confident with genre filmmaking. And I I would say that led to superhero movies. You saw Lord of the Rings come out a little later. I think it just, it broadened everyone's horizons in a really good way. And it's, you know, obviously it, it also has so many philosophical interpretations uh, and just the most bananas all over the place fan base you'll ever meet. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Matrix comes out in 99, and then we get back, they, they, they do the back-to-back sequels thing. We're going to get two movies. They're being produced and shot back-to-back, back-to-the-future style. Uh, <laughs> and they they come out in 2003. May and November. The Matrix Reloaded uh, was the uh, came out first. And the response to it was divisive. <laughs> Imagine Twitter if it was around in 2003. 2003. Oh my God. Well, and it's it's so funny because like critically reloaded, it was actually kind of well received. I mean, Roger Ebert gave it like a three and a half star review and like it, people like it, critically it, people liked it. And then it almost within like a couple months and it was one of the first times I think this really happened where the backlash was almost immediate. It was not even like episode one hits and then maybe a year or two later, everyone goes, that wasn't that good. Um, uh, the Phantom Menace, I should say, not just episode one, because that could be about anything. <laughs> also in 1999. That's right. 99's a big year in cinema, gang. But yeah, it's so it, 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 it almost was the first time where the internet had a big sort of backlash to a movie. The first time I remember it happening in real time anyway. Yeah, because I'd, I'd say movie, like, fandom and dialogue on the internet increased a hundredfold between 1999 and 2003. Uh, you had way more fan sites. It was much more, the internet was much more accessible. Uh, by 2003, dial-up was on its way out, and you had cable, ethernet, so everything was faster. You were watching trailers as they dropped online, but it's still like a drop in the bucket to what you see today. Where where a movie can have a backlash within, oh, 24 hours of it being released. <laughs> or before the trail, when the trailer hits, you know? Uh, yeah, and it was almost instant, uh, the backlash, and then six months later, Revolutions came out, and uh, it didn't fare as well uh, yeah. as, as Reloaded had. Because Reloaded opened, it was the highest grossing R-rated movie at the time. And I don't think it was displaced until Deadpool. Yeah. 
it's crazy that these are R-rated movies because they're they feel pretty tame by modern standards. Yeah, I guess maybe the first one with the the big lobby shootout. There's like that I can see the MPAA giving it an R at that time. But now, I mean, like you watch Inception, and that's a very mild PG-13 nowadays. Yeah. Well, the lobby shootout in the first Matrix took on kind of icky connotations about five seconds after because it came right hand in hand with Columbine. That's right. About a month, a month and a half or two months later after. Like Neo in the first movie is a trench coat clad gun toting uh, shoot him up character. And then in the second and third movies, he kind of dresses. He has his he's more like a priest. He dresses like in this sort of like Prada priest outfit that yeah, I think. I think in one of the documentaries, someone, I think Kim Barrett, who did the the costume designs, I think she describes it as uh, uh, a priest or a monk meets a superhero. And yeah. I think that's pretty, pretty accurate. Yeah, like he, he has a cape, but he it's it's very much a fashion uh, look as opposed to yeah. he's kind of dressed like utilitarian when he goes into battle in the first Matrix. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, w- uh, I would say that if you haven't seen the Matrix, uh, it's... It, it, I mean, it's it's a landmark movie. It is a classic. It is so good, and the script is so tight, and the pacing is so perfect. It never gets out over its skis. Uh, and its siblings are <laughs> fascinating movies in their own right because they are they are they are also uh, you know ambitious, and they are. Uh, uh, Certainly not movies that are are just trying to play the hits, but they also are just like Atlas holding this globe's worth of weight. And it, it by the end of Matrix Revolutions, their knees give out and it's it just can't handle itself anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's that's a good way to, uh, to put it. I'm I'm of the camp that I think. Uh, Reloaded is the best of the three. I think, I mean, the Matrix, the the cultural and how important the first Matrix is cannot be disputed. I, I, I don't mean to say that Reloaded is somehow better than the Matrix because Re- what Reloaded does is it deconstructs the first Matrix and explores the questions that the Matrix asks um, in, I think, really entertaining and interesting ways. Yeah, it's, it's um, the movie that lives up, certainly, to the subverting expectations buzz phrase. Yes. Yeah. It, is, it is very much, and again, to use another just phrase that like PR and, and marketing uses all the time, it's like, <laughs> it is definitely the Empire Strikes Back to the Matrix's New Hope. Like exactly, you don't need yeah. you don't need to see the sequels to enjoy the Matrix. It's a pretty self contained movie and it's flawlessly paced. Whereas yeah. Matrix Reloaded, like Empire Strikes Back, leaves you on a cliffhanger. The heroes are in a bad way at the end of it. And I would say I the movie I kept coming back to in my notes for Revolutions is Return of the Jedi. Yeah, and I mean I think it absolutely. I mean the way that that uh, Revolutions plays out is basically the same structure as Return of the Jedi. I mean, you have uh, Luke, you have Han being imprisoned somewhere and the, the other heroes having to go get him out and revolutions. You have Neo being imprisoned somewhere and everyone else has to go get him out. You have the other, like other characters doing something to get to end the, the war. And you have the, the, you know, the main crux of the emotional battle with the hero and the villain. Yeah. So both movies start with a little 20 minute mini movie 
where the <laughs> heroes have to go to a hedonistic club and confront a decadent crime lord to get their friend back. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, so, yeah, I guess, how do you want to get into this, Sam? How do you want to get into revolutions? Well, I, I, I this is very much, like, these movies are right up Will's alley. This is, this is like, I... The more I think about these movies, the less I kind of have to say about them. Like, I have the least notes here of any movie we've watched so far. (laughs) And I will say that I hadn't watched Reloaded or Revolutions in a long time. I had never watched them back to back, which was an interesting experience because they are very much feel like the the penultimate and ultimate episode of a TV season. I think they work better back to back, honestly. a hundred percent. Because Revolution starts right where reloaded leaves off yeah i've got i've got a lot to say about the matrix movies i love i I love all three i think the third movie revolutions has the most problems which we're definitely going to get into and i have a lot of thoughts and theories on on it um but uh, you know the three movies mean a lot to me um particularly reloaded um because uh, I saw that in May of 20, uh, 2003. It was right before I was graduating high school. And I, it just, like, everything about it, and particularly its twist, which obviously is is uh, an homage to 1984, implying that the rebels are part of, uh, are actually part of the system of control that the villains have set up. I just thought that was fucking brilliant. I thought that was so cool. Um, but also, like, all these different mythological illusions and... Uh, the weird subculture of the underground programs, like all of this, I just thought was so cool. And I spent so much of that summer defending Matrix Reloaded <laughs> <laughs> to my friends, to my family, to my coworkers where I was working that summer. Anyone who ever bothered to talk to me or we ended up talking about the Matrix, I was defending that movie. And what's funny now is coming to now with Matrix Resurrections coming out and people are coming back to the sequels. And a lot of them are going, you know, that wasn't so bad. And I'm like, I've been saying this for 18 years. (laughs) And I think it's a justified reaction now. I think everyone was overly harsh on on Reloaded. Like, at the time, while Will was, you know, having his his mind blown, (laughs) I was your typical 17-year-old high school piece of shit going, did you see the Matrix Reloaded? Small dancing is totally gay. (laughs) <laughs> it's like just uh, just not looking at the movie the right way and coming back to it all these years later i can see what they were going for i can i really respect the wachowskis for very rarely doing things because they think that's what the fans want no. and it's it's i think they succeed where a lot of other filmmakers fail even when their movies kind of like i said collapse under the weight of themselves and i'd say revolutions has that problem more so than any of the other three movies in the series. Yes, and and that's that's the biggest problem. So I guess I guess probably the best way to get into Revolutions is to talk about the end of Reloaded because I think this is where most of the problems of Revolutions stem from. Um, so the end of Reloaded, Neo discovers that basically everything that we have been told in the first movie that there is these two that the machines are at war with humans. Um, and that he is the prophesized one who is going to destroy the, the, the machines is a lie. He discovers that it's actually a means of control by the machines to uh, keep, them, keep them under thumb. Uh, and, and it's through this messianic story. And so it deflates his entire prophecy. And then 
And then finally, Morpheus, who through two movies has been saying, I believe in the one, this has been my thing. I, the war is going to end because of my belief in the one. His entire world, his entire belief is shattered and just destroyed at the end of that movie. And so we get to revolutions and here's the problem. Revolutions ignores Morpheus. And I think this is the core of why Revolutions doesn't quite work as a movie, is because Morpheus is sidelined. He's sitting through the whole thing. He basically sits in a spaceship as they try to get back to Zion. And he doesn't get the arc of him coming to terms with the loss of his belief. And ultimately what he should be, I think, his arc should be coming to, I'm going to fight for humanity. And that's where he should be going. And now here's my crackpot theory about revolutions is that there's an hour of this movie that has been cut and is missing. And when the backlash to reload, just a theory, just a theory, I should clarify. Yeah. No one in production has ever said this. No one has ever implied this. So this is just my bullshit theory. <laughs> but as, as, I will say that in your defense, as we know now in filmmaking, five months is still a long time between two movies coming out. And, you know, it's, it's enough time these days to, you know, swap a Kevin Spacey for a Christopher Plummer in the entirety of your film. Right. So you can make a lot of changes to a movie in five months. And I, I don't, I don't think like anything was radically reshot. I don't think anything like no, that. No, I just, no, I don't mean that. I just think things were cut. And I think a lot of more, I think what happened is, Reload, the backlash to Reloaded was so strong and so fast that somebody, I don't know if it was Wachowskis or the studio or somebody said, we need to hack this thing down to make it an action movie. And that's basically what they did. They cut it down to the bone. And I think it removed Morpheus's arc. And either, either they, either that's not true, which it probably isn't, <laughs> frankly, but um, it, it, then then because of the fact that the two movies were shot back to back and they were also shooting footage for Enter the, Ma Enter the Matrix video game, uh, I think that there was just too much going on and they couldn't figure out how to tell the story. And that's the, the core of the movie, of the emotional arc. Well, not, not the core, but Morpheus needs to be a part of this movie because he's such a big part of the first two and he needs to be... He needs to come to terms with his loss of belief and he needs to get to the point where he's like, I believe in Neo and I need to fight for the humans too. Uh, he needs to be the one strapping himself into a mech suit at the end and fighting the machines. Like that needs to be where he goes. He needs to be, I'm fighting for Zion. I'm not fighting for this prophecy. I'm fighting for myself, which is basically where Neo gets to as well. Yeah, it's it's to keep with the Return of the Jedi uh, parallels, I'd say he goes from being basically Han Solo meets Obi-Wan Kenobi in the first Matrix to being uh his equivalent character in Return of the Jedi would be Lando's co-pilot. Yeah, who just sort of like looks surprised and upset and things. And, you know, the whole trilogy is sort of making this point about the hero's journey, about Joseph Campbell and that kind of thing. And that basically it's not about the one, it's about the many and that it's about all of us together working together towards peace. That's ultimately what the, the trilogy gets to. And the biggest problem with revolutions is that it focuses so much. There's such that there's, you know, what, the 30, 45 minute stretch in the middle 
uh, the, the Siege of Zion, dealing with characters who have had maybe two lines, three lines across two movies. Yeah. And you just, you lose your, you don't care. And it sidelines the main characters. And you're just kind of sitting there going, well, it looks cool. And I know at least conceptually what's going on, but you just compare it to, you know, the battle, the battles in the Lord of the Rings movies, which were coming out right around the same time, uh, where you're all, you always are focused on somebody you've, you know, and care about. You're always focused on, on either a Hobbit, you know, or, or Aragorn or Gimli or, you know, any of these people. Whereas revolutions, it just, it becomes this kind of muddy mess, uh, that battle, which need you need to be really invested in to make it work. It's basically if you did all of the Death Star and Endor sequences in Return of the Jedi first, and then spent an hour with just Luke uh, uh, with the Emperor and Darth Vader. Right. So it's, it's, there's no intercutting. It's, it's basically feels like two different episodes of a TV show. Yeah. It's it's and and then the movie ends so abruptly. Yeah, I'd sort of forgotten how it just it's done. You don't really have res- resolution with any of the characters. No, I mean I think it kind of works because ultimately what you you get is it's basically the idea is that the whole war was between God and the devil uh, trying to fighting over human souls uh, in a way. So it works kind of with the architect and uh, and the Oracle's conversation, but it, it just, it's so, it does, it has this thing that also Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3 had where it's like, oh, we're just tired. We just want it to end. <laughs> We've been doing this for so long. <laughs> and it's so interesting to me, the more I think about The Matrix, like as a franchise, it's such a small world. You have the machine world, like the the machines have a city and the humans have Zion. They have a city. And then you have the stuff inside the Matrix, which is like a third city. But it just feels so limited in scope once you get past the sort of emotional and philosophical underpinnings. So if you lose the thread of those, I think the world feels a lot less compelling. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, it's one of those things where it's this is kind of how I feel about a lot of star Wars stuff that it's like, once you sort of get past the uh, fall and redemption of Anakin Skywalker, there's not really like star Wars as it, as it is, is like an interesting world to think about. It's not an interesting world to spend all that much time in. That's kind of how I feel most of the time. Not that I don't have fun with star Wars, external star Wars projects or anything. It's just that it, it's just like, I feel like, the world isn't all that it's cracked up to be. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Star Wars has the benefit of a long narrative timeline and a big map. You know, it's a big sandbox. You can tell stories, but I don't think the Matrix, if you're not telling the story of Neo and the Machine War, it's just kind of, you get little little bite-sized Animatrix style pieces. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it lends itself more to sort of short form storytelling uh, than it does to anything long form, which is. And, yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, a, a world of, and I don't say, I don't mean this in a bad way necessarily, a world of style over substance. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and it's just it just seems like the three movies were constructed to be one sort of singular story, whether or not they knew where they were going after the first Matrix when it was first made or first written. Um, it seems like it was it's just it's one contained. I mean, it's probably I mean, it makes sense. That's why the Wachowskis didn't really want to do a Matrix sequel for yeah. a very long time. And it seems like every year since 2003, Warner Brothers kept saying, hey, you want to do a Matrix sequel? And they kept saying no. <laughs> yeah, they've gone on to do their own things. And, you know, they they only kind of were, well, one of them came back to it. But you get the sense in Resurrection, and they're not subtle about this, that they were being bought, brought back a little bit under duress to make it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and, and I guess, you know, I really liked uh, Resurrections uh, a lot. I mean, I think it's it's got some problems, but I, I really like it. Um, but it, it's it, it, it did become clear that it was like, if, if somebody, if I don't do this, Lana Wachowski said, if I don't do this, somebody else will. And I don't want anyone else to fuck up my baby. I, and I respect that 100%. Oh, yeah. And I, I kind of feel about, these, you know, I think most of my issues with Matrix Resurrections are, uh, you know, yeah, they're technical, they're aesthetic, they're, yeah. they're you know, I they, problems with the action, problems with the pacing, things. Yeah. It's I, I like what they were doing. I like yeah. that they're they're pulling a, a, a an even less subtle Last Jedi on the uh, situation. <laughs> I think the movie has a lot of the same issues as the Last Jedi, but I like I like that with the Matrix because. The Matrix has always been meta, and the Matrix is yeah. can, has has the bandwidth to do that. And I like I like ruffling fan bases' feathers. I, I <laughs> I'm okay with that. I'm especially okay with the creators of doing the franchise it. doing that. Yeah, and uh, and I think that stuff really works in Resurrections. Uh, the the problems with the like technical aspects of the movie are you know, a whole discussion in their own right. Cause well, it just, well, it's just so funny that it, it seems like part of the, the Genesis of making the matrix and the matrix movies in and of themselves was to make smart action movies. Um, and what's very clear in resurrections is that Lana had no interest in, in dealing with the action. I, I mean, I think the action is fine. It's not good, but it's fine. It's fine. There's, uh, there's and, nothing inherently wrong with it, but by the Matrix standards. Right, exactly. Yeesh. I mean, you have, I mean, in 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 the first Matrix, you you have all those those the wonderful action scenes in that, which, you know, again, as we said at the outset, just set an atom bomb in the industry. And then in, in Reloaded, you have these incredibly detailed, amazing action scenes that are just pushing the boundary of what they could possibly technically do. And I mean, that freeway fight just rips. It is yeah. so good. <laughs> yes. Everyone talks about the, the, what's known as the burly brawl, which is uh, Neo versus a hilarious number of Hugo weavings as agent Smith. And it's, you know, it's the cutting edge, the bleeding edge of a special effects in 2003, not covered up by rain or smoke or they're, and they're not orcs and it shows. Yeah. And they, I mean, they try to do this thing with just, it's one continuous shot where it goes from the, from the sky, goes down into the, like into this 
bubbling cauldron of people and swings around and then goes back up. And it just, it doesn't, it, they just couldn't pull it off. I mean, and my understanding is they were working on that sequence right up to the day it was released. They're very close. Oh yeah. It was in all the marketing. It was, yeah. it was such a big deal, but I would say that the other two action set pieces in Reloaded, the freeway chase and the battle at the Merovingian's Chateau, the sort of uh, medieval weapons fight that happens yeah. are both superior actions. The, the freeway chase is so good and it's oh it's one God. of those ones you can tell it was like crisply storyboarded yeah. it it like the way like spielberg did the action sequences in like indiana jones where they knew exactly where everyone was geographically yeah and and, and you could watch it from beginning to end without having seen any of the rest of the movie and just know exactly what's going on what everyone's doing and why everyone's doing it just on a visual level alone. yeah it, it's it's, just, it's one of those great moments in in genre and action filmmaking where they tell you exactly who is who and who to root for with just the visuals i you know the best example of that in filmmaking is the beginning of star wars right where you know it not all filmmaking but in certainly in this kind of filmmaking where you know the little guys are good and the big guys are bad and it's you know it's rebels versus the evil empire and all you get that is just from one shot of two spaceships Exactly, and, and this is this is the at long form freeway chase version of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, and I would say the problem in Revolutions is that you know the Burly Brawl is a special effects uh, kind of a hullabaloo, if you will, but it's still a fairly restrained action sequence in like one location. The problem with Revolutions is that you know the middle act is one big cgi uh battle sequence not right. in the matrix not using the sort of wire work stylized action and then there's a second f- big fight sequence that's two characters dressed in black fighting it at night in the rain and yeah. the special effects in revolutions might be better they might feel more modern compared to reloaded but the action is way muddier and messier and it takes up a lot of the movie. Yeah, and it's it, yeah, it's just not as inventive. Uh, you know, it, it, the the squid design, you know, the the drone robots in the real world are is very cool. Uh, you get the problem when you have a million of them in one shot; they all just become sort of squiggly dots. <laughs> you know, and same with the 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 mech suits everyone's in. Uh, they they look cool when they're moving around and stuff, but when a bunch of squiggly dots are attacking them and shooting at them, it just all becomes kind of visual noise. This time uh, watching the mech suits, they all moved like they're like a fat, drunk Star Wars alien. Because <laughs> just the way they're constructed, they've got like, if they were like a robot, it's like a robot with no head and a huge pot belly, and it's just sort of like stumbling on squat legs and it, it like holding like shopping bags almost. That was the visual I had. It's, I mean, this is, this is the movie that finally paid off on everyone that like ever wanted to see. What if they put guns on the power loader from aliens, you know, and, and killed a lot of aliens. In yeah. One, it, the it, famous, famously the original pitch for alien three was a hundred alien Queens versus a hundred power loaders. <laughs> 
yeah, and that's what this would look like. Yeah, just, pretty much. Again, you just it when you have you have something that has a very like unique singular design, when you replicate it and have them swarming something, it just becomes noise. And you know, I appreciate that sequence on a technical level because it like the Lord of the Rings movies, they just threw the book at it like trying there's like miniatures and bigatures and like you know, CGI and animatronics and all these things that are going on in it, but it just so much of it. And I mean, I think it really just comes down to because there are no real characters that yeah. we've spent a whole lot of time with in that sequence. It's just hard to like care. <laughs> yeah. There are like by the, by that point in revolutions, there are probably five or so characters you can really latch onto in the right. matrix. You got Neo, you got Morpheus, you got Trinity. I'd say you've got Niobe and you've got agent Smith who's he's not he's a villain but he's still magnetic um none of them are in zion when the machines attack you are dealing with only ancillary characters no one that would be on the level of even lando in star wars (laughs) yeah and then they've only had like two or three lines and across two movies and you're just you're kind of like i don't know they're okay (laughs) the biggest character in the in that battle sequence is Locke, the sort of commander who is the most obstinate prick to ever <laughs> enter enter one of these movies. He is just such an asshole. It really is. And it's so funny how much of an asshole he is. Even when Morpheus and Niobe and that crew come in and kind of save the day, he's like, fuck you guys, you fucked it up. <laughs> <laughs> you just handed the docs to them. And at the same time, it's like, he doesn't believe in the one. He doesn't right. like Morpheus. He's banging Morpheus's ex-girlfriend. Right. It's, it's like, he doesn't like anybody. He, he almost wanted, like, he's like, you know, you're out of your mind, Neo. Morpheus, I ought to have you thrown in the brig court-martial. He almost wants to look at Trinity and be like, I don't know who you are, but I hate you too. <laughs> it's, it's just... Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean... Again, I, I, I do deeply, I like Revolutions a lot, but it has just, it, it its problems are just, uh, are ones of like pacing. And, and I, I think it might actually be the shortest of the three. Yeah, it's only is, about two hours and change. It's, it's shocking how short these movies are. Because I yeah. think of them as being your, your standard two hour and 40 minute movies, but they're not, not no. even the new one. No, they're, yeah, they, they come in maybe two hours and 10. I mean, and Revolutions is like two hours and nine minutes with credits. And yeah. Like, and it's like a 10 minute credits as well. Yeah. But yeah, it's for two movies that were made back to back. It feels like it was made like years later than Reloaded because it also yeah. just everything you talked about that you loved about Reloaded, all those plot twists all that character stuff, you know, Morpheus's arc that was teed up at the end of Reloaded. None of it really matters. Reloaded and Revolutions, I would equate to all the stuff that's set up at the beginning of the last season of Game of Thrones and how much <laughs> of it's actually paid off for the sake of getting it all done in one movie and having as much action as possible. Yeah, it just, it rushes through the stuff that it, it shouldn't rush. It, it's, it's one of these things, and it actually prefigures a lot of like what modern blockbusters are like nowadays, where it's like, it needs to stroll when it sprints, and it needs to, <laughs> it needs to sprint when it strolls. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and because you've sidelined Morpheus... And to to a lesser extent, you've sidelined Trinity. They both are essentially just co-pilots for the entirety of this movie. 
you only really have Neo. And he's barely in it. He's really not in the movie very much. And uh, other than that, you just have everyone in Zion. And everyone in Zion is just uh, like a faceless backup dancer. Right. Like, literally, they all look like backup (laughs) dancers. They all are just sweaty, glistening people in tank tops. They all just walked in from the, like, the set of Christina Aguilera's Dirty video. I, I... I will say there is the one of the best moments across these three movies is when uh, Neo and Trinity are they're heading to the Machine City and they have to go up above the clouds and uh, Carrie Ann Moss's acting and the way that the visuals are designed and when the ship goes up above the clouds and Carrie Ann Moss sees the sun for the first time like the real sun for the first time. It's like an honest to God transcendent moment in like cinema. And I think it just fucking rules. I, I gotta say, and I feel this even more so after Matrix Resurrections, Carrie Ann Moss is the like unsung MVP of these movies. 100%. Like she 100%. often gets a very thankless job. Like Trinity, yeah. written by most people and performed by most people, would essentially be like, I don't know. I don't know what the term would be, but it's just like, oh, you you get getting the he's she's the girl you gotta get to become the one, right? Like she's yeah. like a prize. She's and she also doesn't fall into the tropes of like the tough girl. She's not Gamora. She's no. It's just such she's such a great character, and she really doesn't get an arc of her own after the first movie, but like just, she's very compelling. And I think that's in Carrie Ann Moss's performance and she's great in the new one. Oh yeah. And, and I think what the thing that the, the three movies sort of tease is that Neo really isn't the one it's Neo and Trinity together that are the one. And this new movie really just spells that out. Uh, and I think that's really smart. And the dyad. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. What movie are we talking about? <laughs> oh, okay. We're going to get there. Am all the Sith. <laughs> the dead speak. The dead speak. On Fortnite. <laughs> oh, boy. Somehow, Palpatine returned. Oh, boy. You know. Shut up. That's how. <laughs> <laughs> he just did. Oh, boy. That's going to be a fun one. Oh. We're going to get oh, three. Boy. We're getting also, we're going to get the three Palpatine movies. That's right. Where we he's are. just, he's, he's going full Pleasance. That's you know, right. we're going to, yeah, we, we get, we get, we get good. And then we get <laughs> once more, the Sith will roar the galaxy. And oh, then we get, God. and then we get, look what you've made. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Oh, so much I've, fun. Gotta save it. Gotta save we it. Gotta save that. That's, that's our that's 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 candy. That's yeah. Like, that's that's we need to wait and have fans for that one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's that's uh we have a following that's not five people. Um I kinda wanna talk about the stuff with the Oracle in this one. Obviously in the first two movies, the Oracle is played by Gloria Foster, and she's great in both of them. Really fun performance, and you know, obviously it's not what you expect in the Matrix when they build up this character called the Oracle. And then you know, sadly, Gloria Foster passed away, I think, shortly after doing her scenes for The Matrix Reloaded. And so they have in the story that she's basically changed how she looks. Kind of, she's kind of like on the run from the Merovingian for betraying him. And she's played now by um, 
uh, another actor play uh, Mary Alice, who I, I like in the movie. She's she's fine. She feels a little more understated compared to Gloria Foster, but it's just so weird to me that like everyone talks about to her like she's still hanging out in the same kitchen and she's still wearing the same outfit and you know she's still like an older lady uh making cookies if the idea is the oracle had to like sort of reset and change who they were to stay off the grid and stay away from the merovingian i feel like they should have really gone they could have they should have full-on jonathan grofter yeah it's very strange that they didn't and my only thought is that it they they just didn't have the time I, and then maybe they just couldn't. And maybe there was so much of the dialogue that was already written for, you know, for the Oracle and maybe they had shot some of those scenes, but they had to connect it to the video game too. And like, I, I don't know, maybe they just yeah. didn't have, it happens. Maybe it happened suddenly enough that they just couldn't reconfigure it in time. But it's the know. new actress in the video game too. No, I, I know, but I'm just saying maybe they, I, I, I have no idea. Maybe they just couldn't, they just maybe with their shooting schedule as such, maybe they couldn't be like, we need to rewrite all of this stuff to, yeah. you know, it, to explain a completely new thing. I don't know. It's weird just cause they also keep playing it. Like all the other characters are like, what happened to you? Yeah. You know, what? You, I, and we're like, besides Gloria Foster passed away, I don't know what happened to her. That much difference. Yeah. I mean, I think the, it it, it highlights sort of the problem, which is something we haven't really gotten into um, the whole trans media thing. That was also a big part of these movies, you know, the whole, Oh, they're going to be connected to a video game and the animatrix and like all this stuff that, uh, I mean, hadn't really been done before and started with this, but but I think that, you know, the, the, they, it's the problem with so much of that Oracle story was told in Enter the Matrix that the movies suffer a little bit by not having that connective tissue. I blame this franchise for having to see the movie Dreamcatcher because I, <laughs> I went because also they had the final flight of the Osiris uh, animatrix short before it. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't catch Dreamcatcher in theaters because I wanted to see the the animated short. I just must have not had time or something. <laughs> uh, you know, I, the sad thing is I could pretend that it was just to see the Matrix short, but I, you know, I was it, it looked cool from the trailers and I was way into Kevin Smith movies at the time and Jason Lee was in it. <laughs> I was just God, I was so wh- what was I doing, Will? <laughs> what was I doing? What were you, 15 or 16 when that came out? Oh, God, was that 2002? So, yeah, I was 16. I could have, I I probably drove there in my car (laughs) myself to the Regal Cinema at the Solomon Pond Mall in Marlboro. Look, we we all do things we regret when it comes to movies when we're younger, especially at the time when we were growing up. I mean, I snuck in to see Swordfish, of all things. Well, speaking of bullet time knockoffs. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, Swordfish. Too bad there's not a third one of those. <laughs> there's no part two, either. <laughs> 
Swordfish. I'd forgotten all about that movie. Oh boy, that was that was a big that was a big deal when that came out because that was the one you know where you could see Halle Berry's boobs. Right. That was like the selling point of the movie. It was practically and, on the poster, and she got paid a lot of money for that. Well, my understanding, as she should. If I not... had to take my shirt off and be in the movie Swordfish, <laughs> I would like a large paycheck as well. I just remember seeing sitting in the theater and have the scene where Hugh Jackman has to do some complicated hacking while getting a blowjob and being like, what is this? It's even better in the TV edit because they cut out the fact that she's going down on him. So it just seems like he's got to do it with a gun to his head, but he's still reacting like right. he's <laughs> trying not to get turned on by the whole thing. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, what a sleazy movie. That movie yeah. is so sleazy. That's that's one of those... I feel like those are like the precursor to the uh, Transformers movies where everyone is like orange and sweaty. Yeah. Yeah. yeah very slimy. Everyone's slimy. Everyone's everyone's just moist. And everyone yeah. like... Everyone... Uh, it's a Jerry Bruckheimer era movie, so all the heroes just hit, d- hit golf balls off like trailers <laughs> or oil that's derricks right. and stuff. <laughs> Ugh, why was that a trope? What? Why because they be were they thing? they were they were rebels and they you know they 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 did tough guy stuff but they didn't care <laughs> and had nothing better to do. I don't know. I don't know. Well, no. that's that's for another. That's for when uh, we do you know the swordfish podcast, the yeah. swordfish minute. When yeah, we, yeah. When we go through it every every uh, every minute. Yeah. <laughs> I want to do uh, Independence Day, but every four minutes and call it the ID forecast. Oh, man, that's great. That's a yeah, great idea. Yeah. All right. Come <laughs> at, come, you stay tuned, folks. <laughs> now, will we have to cover uh, Independence Day resurgent on that, too? Or no, 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 because <laughs> that's that's ID five anyway. Uh, anyway, back to the Matrix Revolutions. I think it is very much reminiscent of those those third movies in a trilogy that don't like you set up all this cool stuff and then you don't pay it off or you immediately start backpedaling it. That's yeah, that's something we've encountered before. We've got multiple Halloween movies that backpedal on the things they set up where it's just not interested in it's 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 got other priorities besides paying off the things it's teed up and it comes at the expense of the characters too yeah i mean that's sort of the the that's the big problem and i mean i think it's more concerned with just tying up the story of neo and getting to the place of uh this isn't a story about the one this is the story about humanity and humanity fighting for peace and it's very focused on that which is kind of a thread in Reloaded, but not really. And it's very, it's weird in a way. Cause like you, like you said, you know, it feels like this movie actually came out a year or two later uh, or well after the fact um, and doesn't feel like it came out six months later and was sort of part of the same process of making the movie. And I don't know what it is. I feel like that's the case with a bunch of the back to back made movies. Cause you could say the same thing about, Pirates of the Caribbean 2 and 3. You could kind of say the same thing about Back to the Future 2 and 3. Yeah, and I, I think I think part of the problem is, I think especially with the six months um, release window, I think you lose focus. I think what happens is one movie wins over the other. And I don't know, you know, if you're, I don't know which one. It seems to me Reloaded won 
that battle over revolutions and that they were so focused on finishing reloaded and getting the burly brawl working and making sure it tied into the video game correctly and that the video game was was being released that that revolutions i think it feels rushed and i think that that's the one that lost sort of the the focus and i think these things need more time to either more time in development or more time to in the edit um, where you can figure out if they need to reshoot things or reconfigure whole sequences or, or things like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, despite my crackpot theory that this was hacked down to the bone from something much longer, which again is only coming from my brain. I mean, um, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case, but maybe at the script stage. Right. Yeah. 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 Cause that's, that is, much more common. It, I mean, it's it's the film equivalent of that John Mulaney bit where he talks about writing a happy birthday poster in block letters, but you 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 write it too big and then you run out of room, and so you start yeah. squishing the letters together. <laughs> this that's basically what happens with these movies. Yeah, and uh, and I mean, and it's it's kind of also a problem that the Wachowskis have. I mean, it's not a bad problem, I don't think, it, but it's just they. Um, they shoot for the moon on on all their movies and you know some of them just have it's like the movie has too much ideas to contain <laughs> yeah i mean you, you can never fault them there is no wachowski movie out there that feels like a a, a cash grab or a no. work for hire no. the, the i feel like the only one that is like that is like they farmed it out anyway like v for vendetta Right. Where, like, yeah, they just produced it or or a Ninja Assassin where it's just sort of like they, they let their their collaborators direct something. But uh, but they they just never they always, you know, swing for the fences. And what's funny about uh, the Matrix movies is after the Matrix movies, their movies are all bombs, every single one. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's they have a career path very similar to John Carpenter in that sense. Yeah. Uh, it's, and I mean, their, their movies are bombs. Some of them have gotten reevaluations. I know Speed Racer has a huge fan base now. It's got a big cult following. I'm one of them. (laughs) I'm going to say this. Every time one of these mediocre Hollywood adaptations of a, of an anime fails, it's good because it means we've kicked the terrible live-action Akira down the road another couple years. <laughs> so it's good that Speed Racer failed, just like it's good that that Ghost in the Shell failed and that Cowboy Bebop got canceled because we're just, eventually we're going to have to reckon with live-action Akira, and it won't be pretty. Oh, no, it will not be. It will not be. I, I mean, I will say that there are, you know, a couple... There are only really two movies that sort of have gotten the aesthetic of anime uh, as far as an adaptation goes. I actually think the Matrix movies get the aesthetics of anime and manga pretty well. Um, but uh, it's Alita and Speed Racer for me are the only ones that sort of have really uh, made the made it work. And then after that, they had Cloud Atlas and they had Jupiter Ascending. Uh, right. Am I forgetting one in there? Uh, Sense8. Um, oh yes the tv series and that tv series and i feel like that was and i feel like this happens a lot with directors they go and do like a tv show and it's kind of like a palate cleanser for them like uh, sam raimi doing the evil dead series he he said that was really refreshing and uh, martin scorsese when he did boardwalk empire 
Right. Same thing. He was like, oh my God, this just kind of just was like a, like a moment of clarity for me just to be yeah. able to do something that's simple and restrained. Uh, and Sensate is definitely, it's certainly ambitious, but compared to something like Jupiter Ascending, it's, it's downright conservative. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, it was sort of during Sense8 where the, the two, where Lana and Lily sort of had either a falling out or, you know, one of them, or or uh, Lily just sort of felt like she was done with sort of big budget filmmaking. And, and unclear exactly how their their creative partnership sort of split, but they they did. <laughs> Everything that has a beginning has an end. Men, yeah. No, I, and I mean, it... I'm glad one of them came back to the matrix cause it was going to happen no matter what. Yeah. Uh, and if you know, you, you, you can't for it's, it's Simon and Garfunkel, you know, you can't, you can't force two people to keep working together cause it's just going to be a detriment to the work they're doing. Well, and, and, you know, it sounds like, for, you know, they keep making these movies that don't connect at least initially for, with people. And, uh, you know, the studios keep probably trying to make them do what the studios want to do. And, and I'm sure it just gets sort of demoralizing at a certain point when you're, you know, you're just kind of like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. <laughs> yeah. And obviously Sensate was a positive experience on a certain level. A lot of sensate actors uh, are in in resurrections. I think a a good chunk of uh, uh, Bugsy's crew. Yeah. That aren't, that aren't robots named uh, (laughs) Saibebe. And Octocles. All all I could hear was uh, Moira Rose from Schitt's Creek. Saibebe. Yeah. (laughs) That's, and that's my frustration. I think with the matrix resurrections is also it, it didn't go as far as I would have liked in terms of, uh, you know, like the 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 mixing of the machine and the human world. For uh, it's a world that has very little, like, uh, sort of the transhumanist uh, cyberpunk sort of elements to it. It's you're either a program or you're a human or you're a robot. Uh, well, I mean, the, yeah, I, I mean, I guess there's the the ball bearing programs that can interact with the the real world i mean it's kind of interesting that the the matrix sequels after the first one kind of dropped a lot of that like cyberpunk aesthetic um and sort of became more mythic and less uh less sort of that grungy feeling like there's you know there's a couple scenes where they have to hack things in uh reloaded but they don't it's less uh that sort of dorky cyberpunk thing and i don't exactly know why uh that is uh you know it maybe it just like the end of the 90s felt very that was the very cyberpunk sort of epic and then you know i mean 9 11 happened and maybe that sort of shifted a lot a a lot of their thinking about this i I don't know yeah it's Um, a good question i'd say the sets in reloaded and resurrections every single one of them is the set of a music video yeah the train station the bdsm club the the uh the underground tunnels you know (laughs) yeah the rainy street yeah yeah uh, it just, uh, but I don't know. It just, it seems like a lot of the, the cyberpunk aesthetic sort of fell to the wayside as they moved into the sequels. Um, and you know, by the time you get to resurrections, I think the the cyberpunk thing feels so quaint that, 
you know, any sort of, you do it in any sort of way, it's going to feel like a throwback. Yeah, that's a good point. And Resurrections is, it's much more playful in how it's being subversive. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, and I know that not everyone was into that, both, like, Matrix fans and and some critics thought it was, like, way too on the nose. But, you know, it didn't really bother me because the Matrix, for all its, you know, obfuscating philosophical dialogue is is not a subtle franchise it's like he's jesus he 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 goes into the jesus pose for an extended shot at the end of revolutions (laughs) yes yeah i mean he he's he becomes a martyr and fights for peace i mean he yeah he's a kung fu jesus and Um, and uh resurrections is definitely uses a lot more it's that's that's definitely not yeah the cyberpunk aesthetic and the hacking aesthetic has been replaced with video gaming you know everyone's got a new skin Uh, yeah that's sort of where where and it's obviously the setup in the matrix inside the matrix for thomas anderson is that he is a video game designer that designed a game called the matrix matrix which follows the original matrix trilogy fairly closely anyway yeah and and his business partner is uh is agent smith yeah uh which which i liked i liked i liked that as a setup you know i did too i yeah. i there was a lot yeah and i think you know i think also the wachowskis just evolved so much as filmmakers they like after the matrix movies they became far more like the matrix movies are very earnest anyway but they became the wachowskis became even more earnest and their films like became even less subtle than the matrix movies um, and yeah, they, they're not cynical filmmakers. No, at all. not at all. Which is and, weird because the whole we live in a simulation thing is one of the most cynical conspiracy theories there is. Right. And but that's what's so interesting about the sequels is well, particularly actually revolutions, not so much reloaded, but in revolutions, they basically say, if you want to live in the simulation, that's fine. It's just if people want to leave, let them leave. And it's uh, that's sort of what makes a revolution so fascinating uh, as the button to the trilogy that has been so focused on this binary of machines versus humans. And then it eventually comes down to no. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I really like that because you go back to Joe Pantoliano in the first one, he would rather be in the matrix. He'd rather, right. you know, he, ignorance is bliss. Uh, right. And I think that in the context of that world, that's a valid point of view. And I like where they land at the end of Revolutions. Yeah. I think it is a really good ending, and it's not the ending you would expect, but it is, yeah. It's always been, the the one will bring the end to the war, was the right. prophecy. Exactly. And he did, you know, yeah. he brought about peace. Yeah. It wasn't until maybe the last time I watched it that I kind of finally put all those, th- like, like, saw the thread winding its way through. Because yeah. it is, it is basically... I think if they set up just out off the top, let's say they set up 10 different things at the end of reloaded that needed to be resolved. They only resolve maybe five of them and none of them are like the character arcs that would normally in normally in a movie be where you figure out, you know, where the characters figure out what the resolution is going to be. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and that's, you know, that's my big problem with it is just that, 
and again, I, I, I should say I, I love all three movies dearly in a lot of ways, but Revolutions has the most problems for me. And it's just, uh, you know, it's the Morpheus of it all is a big problem. And 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 that's kind of without him, you kind of lose a lot of your heart. And then Neo and Trinity are sidelined for so much of it, too. Um, and you just you're just sort of stuck with uh, robot battles for a good chunk of it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It, it, it's it's unfortunate because. I think if the if Revolutions had been a stronger movie, I think in hindsight we'd all be more forgiving of the mistakes of Reloaded. But I think it's yeah. the fact is Revolutions doubles down on the problems in Reloaded. They're they're both yeah. very messy movies, but I think it you can't it's not not for a lack of trying. No, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, you know, like the Lord of the Rings movies, I mean, they just threw sort of every filmmaking trick in the book at these things. Just everything that you can think of is in these. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's, as we were talking about with uh, with Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3, like it just, this was an era where Hollywood sort of gave the keys to, or gave a lot of money to filmmakers to just make whatever wild shit they wanted to. Um, and it's, it's kind of a weird era of blockbuster filmmaking. And I, I think it kind of ends really at Sam Raimi's Spider-Man three. I mean, you have like Nolan and some other filmmakers who kind of still do, but it doesn't feel as like wild and strange as it did in the early, in the mid aughts. And, and part of that would be, I'd say the last movie like that is Nolan's dark Knight. And Nolan, he he's not a filmmaker I would call wild and strange. His right. movies are no. very polished and very, you know, for better or worse, they're they're very meticulous. They're not <laughs> they're not messy in like a fun way, in my yeah. opinion. And yeah. and we'll get to the Dark Knight Rises. Yes, but I, but I'm also thinking of like the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, which is so like kind of banana pants too, which we'll get to talking about at some point as well. Yeah, um, yeah. and you know, I mean, and even ones that that were franchise non-starters, like uh, well, sort of, like Chronicles of Riddick is like so like insane that a major studio funded Vin Diesel's like Dungeons and Dragons obsession, like you know, it's just it's. Like they were basically like, Vin Diesel, what do you want to do? I want to make Dune, but with Riddick. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. It's it. Yeah. There there are so many auteur, like super stylized non-starter movies in the two thousands. Like the Aeon Flux movie is in there. Uh, pretty much any movie by Tarsum after the cell <laughs> would like be on in under that umbrella. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. it was, it's a fascinating decade for genre movies in cause it's, they're kind of crawling out of the hole that they dug for themselves in the nineties. Cause yeah. like, the, like try to list like the 10 best sci-fi movies from the nineties. And it's, it's a tough list after the matrix you know well, right i mean you get what like terminator 2 yeah 91 and 99 there you go <laughs> uh, uh star trek 6 is what 91 something like that it's more smaller stuff it's things like pitch black you know yeah. it's yeah. it's not it it well whole... pitch black was also well i guess it's 2000 sort of the yeah yeah but but it's like Nine in the nineties, sci-fi, and I would all say also horror until yeah. Scream were not profitable for like genres. You were seeing a lot more just action and a lot more 
you know, just drama drama. Yeah. Like uh like a lot more period pieces. Yeah. You yeah, think of like the things true. you think of your Braveheart and your your Gladiator, uh Last of the Mohicans. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. More yeah. sweeping double VHS uh epics <laughs> like that. Yeah, I mean it really I guess part of it is just that special it took a long time for special effects to sort of catch up too. I mean that that's kind of the big thing. But yeah, I mean, you have, you know, you have The Matrix, you have Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies and Lord of the Rings, which I feel like are the, the three franchises that sort of kicked off a lot of this stuff. Yeah, you know? I would say maybe to a lesser extent, Harry Potter as well. Oh, yeah. Well, Harry Potter, Harry Potter was already a phenomenon. It, yeah. The movie was kind of like inevitable no matter what. Right. And I mean, and the fact that the movies were were decent at the beginning and got better as they went, you know, was a happy accident. And I get, you know, Lord of the Rings, obviously a movie was inevitable. There had been attempts before, but those movies are just, were just so good. I think that, that studios were like, well, the nerds, they seem to know this shit. And then, you know, yeah, it, it would be, it'll be interesting when we get to, uh, not so much return of the King, but the third Hobbit, we'll talk <laughs> about, um, you know, if Matrix Reloaded and Revolutions or uh, are two movies that might have been better served being three, The Hobbit <laughs> is two movies that got ex- bloated out into three, and, yeah. it, and it shows. You know, yeah. it's I've only seen the first Hobbit, and uh, I never saw the other two. So I I saw all three in theaters, and then I've watched the extended editions of all three, oh which <laughs> I actually think help because. Uh, the stuff that is in the extended edition is more stuff with the dwarves who are supposed to be your main character. Right. <laughs> so at least you get a better sense of them. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's putting in stuff that should have been kept in and, you know, instead of like the politics of Lake town, you didn't even watch the second two. Anyway, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's, I think this is why I said before I I don't have as much to say about revolutions because I think the issues with it are pretty straightforward. Yeah, and there yeah, there's just there's also not as many like weird things to talk about. I mean, Reloaded has like you know you could talk about the the shadowy underground of all the programs. You can talk about sort of the the mythic resonance and its subversion of the of the messiah tropes and what that means about humanity that we have to have these stories that are keeping us under control and all that kind of stuff. But uh, revolutions is far more straightforward as a movie. Yeah. Reloaded sets up a lot of stuff that revolutions just doesn't pay off. And I think that's disappointing. And we had to wait for Tron legacy for someone to capitalize on all those ideas. (laughs) Rogue rogue programs hanging out in nightclubs. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Oh, there are some, yeah, that's, that. there's your interesting double features, Tron and The Matrix. Yeah. Well, they, I mean, they, there's clearly, you know, uh, they, not that Matrix borrows from Tron per se, but there, there's a lot you could point to, particularly in Reloaded with all the programs. Uh, I don't know the, I don't know if you've ever listened to the Blank Check podcast with uh, Griffin and David. 
they did a big thing on the the Matrix movies. And David Sims, who's a film critic for The Atlantic, who's the co-host of that show, his big thing is that the the programs in Reloaded all correspond to different uh, programs in like a computer. So Seraph, when he fights Neo, is like a login password screen. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and the keymaker is a, a you know a root toolkit uh, type of thing, and you know all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and but. and. And they touch on this in Reloaded and Revolutions. You know, obviously people were always theorizing about the sort of religious parallels. You know, like, is Seraph a fallen angel? Is Neo right. a Christ metaphor? I think if they, you know, even more touched on the the parallels between technology and spirituality, that would have been really interesting. Because Tron does that. Like, the users are gods, essentially. And then Tron does have, like, the programs are like, I'm not a fighter, I'm an accounting program. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's... Well, and, and you kind of start getting that in Revolutions, you know, with, with Ramakandra and that whole discussion. But then it, like, you know, as we're saying, like a lot of threads that, that Reloaded sort of spins, it's just dropped. It's sort of ignored just to sort of tie up the story. Yeah, it's... Basically, they're really interesting ideas, but plot-wise, they're mostly just there for Neo to realize that some aspects of the machine world aren't, like, horrible mechanical spiders that want to probe him. Right, you know? exactly. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And I think that's, you know, uh, you see, and this is now I'm going into sort of Blade Runner-esque things of uh, if if all you ever know of the machines is, like, what you see in, you know... Uh, uh, the the Animatrix one, the origin of the Machine Wars, the Second right. Renaissance. Second Renaissance, yeah. Yeah, if all yeah. you know of them is that, you would think they are the most horrifying monsters uh, that have ever been created. Right. But then you have to, you go further and you realize that they are a society and not all of them, you know, see humans as necessarily evil. And, right. you know, but that's, that's more than you can do in one feature film. That's, right. you know, that's, then you're in Battlestar Galactica territory where you take whole seasons to unpack the Cylons. And right. We haven't even brought up Battlestar Galactica, but I feel like that's another one that came out of the Matrix. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that that owes a lot to it, to the to the trilogy for sure. Um, talking about part threes, especially for your concluding movie, you can't really do too much. Uh, you know, you kind of have to you do kind of have to be on the rails to end the damn thing. I mean, and we're going to see this with particularly the star Wars movies has have this problem in, in certain aspects where it's like, they can't you just, you kind of have to like get to the end. At yeah. Least. I mean, I think in a weird way in star Wars, the prequel trilogy has the strongest third movie. I mean, I don't think most people agree that revenge of the Sith is the strongest one, but they have the benefit there of that. You, everyone knows what the ending is. Right. George Lucas was building back from the ending. So right. all the threads inevitably end with, you know, Anakin becomes Darth Vader. Right. And then we set up two kids. Uh, that's, that's it. <laughs> yeah. It, I think, you know, look, and, and with the sequel trilogy, a similar problem to, I'm guessing what happened with reloaded and revolutions is you got to sit down with three outlines or in this case, two outlines and just make sure that all your plot points that are set up in, in one chapter are continued and then resolved in the following chapters. So, yeah. Um, 
I guess as a conclusion to the Matrix saga, or at least this iteration, uh, this version of it, uh, um, what do you think? I mean, you know, I mean, obviously there are problems coming off of the second installment, but as the as the button on the Matrix trilogy, um, I mean, I'm never gonna sit down and just watch the Matrix Revolutions, <laughs> but I will say, as a whole, as a trilogy. If I watch The Matrix and decide to watch The Matrix Reloaded, I'm probably going to watch The Matrix Revolutions after it. So it's either you do the one movie or you go for all three, yeah. in my opinion. It is it is still essential. It still has a great ending. It still wraps up Neo as a character really well. And it's, you know, it's a well-made movie. I think it lacks some of the stylish... The, the action is better in Re- Reloaded, but revolutions is still like it's it's not like they gave up on a technical side no you know they no, they yeah. still going all out uh yeah i mean it's it's just a movie where the the it's failings it's it's an i'm not mad i'm disappointed situation <laughs> <laughs> yeah like yeah. it's not it's not a movie that makes me angry the way it does with some people uh the way the way Alien 3 does with some people but I actually defend it you know right, it's right. it's very divisive but so is Reloaded and The Matrix is a franchise where its fans and its detractors have crazy strong opinions about it <laughs> like like dissertation length opinions about it yeah. and maybe I'm just not as passionate about the franchise as as other people are but yeah, I'm very forgiving of this movie. That, that's, I think, where I'm landing. Yeah. I, th- I mean, you know, uh, like I said, I watch all three pretty much once a year, uh, you know, or every other year, depending on time. Um, uh, you know, I mean, the, the Matrix, the first movie, just, it's undeniable. It's influence. Yeah. And, 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 you know, as you sort of said at the beginning of this thing, or yesterday, whenever it was, <laughs> um, it's uh it's like a rocket on rails like the you know the story you know underneath all sort of the philosophical and stuff the story is very simple and uh it's very easy to follow even though it seems more seems very complicated but it just it that sucker moves like it just it just goes it's so propulsive it's and it's baked into pop culture now yeah. And like, even yeah. if you haven't seen it, you know it the same way, you know, Casablanca or Psycho or Star Wars. It's, yeah. you know, and if you haven't seen it, like, what the fuck? Go, go see them. Go watch the Matrix. How did you get this far into this? Yeah, <laughs> you're going to go and watch it and watch it with someone that's seen it before. And they get to watch you fill in all these like family guy references you never got uh, <laughs> growing up. It's uh Yeah. It, this is as valid a trilogy as you can find, you know, amongst the the classic trilogies. And I think like Lord of the Rings for some or Star Wars for others, I, I totally it's totally valid. I don't like I'm not giving you a funny look when you say you watch it once a year. I think it's it's it is a singular vision and it just doesn't quite stick the landing not so much in how it resolves, but just in how the third movie is as its own chapter. As a movie, yeah. It uh, it just, it relies too much on characters who just, you haven't spent any time with or you find actively annoying as some people found characters like the kid and 
and yeah. some of the Zion folks and, and, but you just, that's the, that's what you're stuck with. You're kind of stuck with them. And if you, and the problem is, is that a lot of people didn't like the Zion stuff from Reloaded. And if you didn't like the Zion stuff from Reloaded, you ain't going to like a lot of revolutions. <laughs> I mean, on a certain level though, don't we all like fit sweaty people in tank tops, you know, no matter what they're doing. I don't know. The, the the dance sequence in Reloaded felt a lot shorter this time. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's one of those things when you're sitting down for that movie uh, for the first time and that dance sequence happens. And if you're not really on the movie's wavelength at that point, because there's been like a lot of like weird discussions and stuff. And if that point you get to it, I can just see. I mean, I was there. I remember I could audiences just going, OK, fuck this. <laughs> I don't yeah. want anymore. <laughs> I mean, it is a little bit like uh, still going. Uh, the equivalent in Revolutions is Trinity's death scene. Right. She's like, I can't go any further, but I can go. I, I've prepared a monologue. It's an operatic death scene, you know, where someone's dying of tuberculosis, but they've got a lot this big aria they've got to sing. So. <laughs> <laughs> I have written in my notes, Elise came in and watched maybe the last 25 minutes with me. Uh, so she basically saw Trinity die and Neo go to the machine world and get uh, jacked in. And she said, this reminds me of the new Space Jam. <laughs> and I, I was like, holy shit, I, it is kind of like the new Space Jam. <laughs> I haven't watched the new Space Jam yet. So, uh, well, but... it's it's, uh, you know, he gets pulled into the server verse by Al G Rhythm and Granny does Matrix moves. Oh, OK. Well, yeah. There you go. Remember the Matrix kids? <laughs> uh yeah um i think i think that's it i think we've uh we've arrived yeah uh, I, th- I think we we've made it i think we're we've uh we've... god god knows if any of this will cut together but uh <laughs> it'll be entertaining anyways yeah for that's, us. that's for sure so uh coming up i think next time around we're gonna watch scream three i think that's right there's a new scream out uh and if we've both seen it by then spoilers for scream five. Uh, <laughs> but yes, our next movie is scream three scream goes to Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, and uh, then we're going to do day of the dead. So we got a little horathon That's going right. for us and then it'll yeah. be Will's turn to pick. Uh, oh, and I'm going to pick something that will make you mad. So we'll, we'll, but we'll get to it when we get to the day of the dead episode. All right. Well, uh, folks, uh, thank you so much for, uh, listening and watching and talking with us. Uh, we are on Twitter at podcast part three. That's the number three. And you can find us on Google podcasts and Apple podcasts and Spotify. And I think we'll be up on Stitcher. And uh, yeah, check us out. Subscribe, follow, listen, uh, and review. Be be kind, and if you can't be kind, uh, be honest. <laughs> but yeah, um, it's it's this has been a lot of fun. We're having a great time. This yeah. is we look forward to this every week. And uh, until next time, until uh, until Scream Three. I am Sam Charrington, and I'm Will Morey. And always remember, cookies need love, like everything does. Millions of people just living their lives. I love Jonathan Groff in the new one. He was great. I wanted Hugo Weaving, but I really liked Jonathan Groff. Oh, he was great. He was fun. He did like he did, uh, you know, Hugo Weaving impression, kind of. Just enough. Like, yeah, just yeah, enough. It was just enough. It was the right amount. It yeah. Was, uh, it was great. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's great. All right. On that note, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>